From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. So perhaps you've heard, but the European Union has a VAT or value added tax. It's been around for a while, but it's not working totally perfectly. According to the European Commission, the difference between what it was owed in VAT revenue and what it actually collected was 135 billion euros in just 2019 alone. One of the potential solutions to closing this gap is e-invoicing. By making invoicing all automated and electronic, the EU is hoping that it will ease complexity and make it simpler for companies to pay this tax. Earlier this year, the union launched an initiative to look into the ways it can harmonize e-invoicing across the entire continent, and today we're going to be talking about what that might mean with Ellen Korfreen. She's a director of tax technology with PwC in Belgium. Ellen spoke with Bloomberg Tax European correspondent Sean Courtney about this move, and she started off by explaining exactly what e-invoicing is. Electronic invoicing is typically referred to as the process whereby you are sending and receiving an invoice in any electronic format. So if we look at the EU, um, well, companies are indeed free to exchange invoices both in paper and electronic formats. However, what we noticed is that the uptake of, of what we call true electronic invoicing, so electronic invoicing in a structured format with all benefits in terms of invoice automation, for instance, is still rather low in Europe. However, we, we also see that a few things happened in the recent years. First of all, we see that governments in Europe really try to lead by example. Um, and, and with this, I'm referring to the EU procurement directive that really states that all government entities in Europe need to be in a position to receive invoices electronically. What we see is that many EU countries have implemented this procurement directive as a real mandate, which means that in case you want to do business with a government agency in these types of countries, you need to be able to submit to send your invoice in an electronic format. Okay. And and you mentioned that um, some of this started from the EU making mandates. Uh, why did the EU start at the government level? Well, again, because really governments want to lead by example. They want to set a positive example to really increase, uh, let's say, the, the take up of electronic invoicing um, in Europe because they, they really noticed, even though they removed really the, the technical barriers uh, to send invoices in electronic format, that still the, the uptake was, was way too low uh, for, uh, for, for Europe, let's say. And that's why they started by um, implementing this on, uh, on government level. And of course, also because of, of, of the many benefits that are linked to the implementation of such a true electronic invoicing system. Could you talk a little bit about what those benefits are and, and who benefits? Is it the government? Is it businesses? Like who, yeah, what are the benefits and, and who um, receives them? Well, it, it's, it's a benefit for both um, parties, of course, and it will depend a bit on, on the system that is being implemented. If we're talking, for instance, again, referring back to what I explained about that procurement um, directive, it means that invoices are really sent in a structured format, making it possible both for businesses and for the government agencies that receive those invoices to really, um, in a touchless way, process those invoices once they are received. 
received, um, which means that both for AP and AR um, departments, um, yeah, the, the, the level of automation really increases. Mm, okay. Well, and so there's also a move to uh, go beyond government reporting. And some governments have instituted their own um, various types of e-invoicing requirements for businesses beyond just interacting with the government. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, who's doing what in Europe? I know Italy is doing some, France is going along with their own plan. Can you talk a little bit about how different countries are using e-invoicing? Yes, of course. So where I mentioned before that um, a lot of countries are implementing different systems to receive more transactional data um, more in real time, we, we see a variety of systems popping up. Um, countries uh, like Hungary, like Spain, which it, with its supply of immediate information, have really focused on the implementation of what we call real-time reporting obligations, which means that um, those uh, countries are requiring you to submit your transactional data, the, the invoice information or a subset of that invoice, closely after you have issued it towards your buyer, also to the government. Talking about, let's say, electronic invoicing, we see that currently only Italy uh, has implemented a real B2B e-invoicing mandate, whereby the government portal, uh, which is called the SDI portal, um, that initially was established to deal with that business to government invoicing again, is now also being used um, for uh, sending and receiving of invoices in a B2B uh, environment. However, uh, we see that many other com uh, countries in Europe are a bit inspired by the Italian example. And for instance, Poland, France and many other countries in the EU are uh, currently investigating or have already uh, made their intentions very clear that they will move towards such a B2B mandate also in the very near future. And so you said they were inspired by Italy. Has Italy um, seen a benefit in terms of the VAT gap that you were talking about earlier? So um, absolutely. Uh, Italy has, has seen uh, very positive results to uh, its VAT gap based on the implementation of that B2B mandate. So it's also because of those positive results that uh, Italy has now received an extension uh, from, the, from the European Commission to further derogate, let's say, uh, from the the, from the VAT directive um, and, and can continue with its B2B um, invoicing mandate also for the future. Mm. Well, you mentioned there the European Commission and their role in this, uh, and they recently um, rolled out a, a public consultation period uh, on VAT in the digital age. And I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit what the European Commission's role would be in the future of um, VAT and e-invoicing and whether there's some sort of um, push towards harmonizing, um, as you said, so many countries are starting to um, consider introducing these systems. Is, is there an EU level effort to harmonize these systems? Yeah, indeed. So that's indeed the, uh, the idea behind the VAT and the Digital Age Initiative. Because of the fact that the Commission also noticed that there is a wide variety of systems popping up in Europe, uh, non-harmonized solutions, putting a lot of burden uh, to businesses with a very wide impact to those companies' systems and processes. And it's for that reason that they want to investigate, let's say, what is the best way to deal with this for the future. 
Um, so one of the, the aspects that they will focus on is specifically those digital reporting uh, requirements or DRRs as they refer to them. Um, and they are thinking about a few policy options. First of all, they're thinking about uh, the removal um, of the requirement to ask for that derogation that I was also uh, just, uh, just telling you about, because that would um, make it easier for countries to move ahead um, with the implementation of a B2B invoicing mandate. One of the other uh, policy options is also um, yeah, to, to more harmonize those systems either um, the, the domestic uh, real-time reporting or e-invoicing systems that have already been implemented, or really focus on um, all cross-border transactions. Um, because what you typically see um, is that a country like Italy, for instance, but also others really focus on the domestic trade only and not necessarily are interested yet, I would say, um, in uh, transaction-based reporting when it comes to intra-community supplies. Right. Well, and one of the things that um, has come up, and you were just mentioning this, is the intra-EU transactions. Can you talk a little bit more about um, why that might be where the European Commission um, decides to act and, and what sort of challenges there are for businesses if you're doing you know, business in France, but then you're shipping something to Spain, but then you're actually getting raw materials from Germany? Can, can you talk a little bit about why there is a, a role there? Yeah, well, I, I think the main reason why the, the Commission is, is focusing on, on cross-border trade um, for digital reporting requirements um, is because of the fact, again, that the focus of most of the systems now has been um, to the local transactions only, because they are typically, let's say, uh, in, really in scope of local VAT, uh, which is why they are typically the, the focus of those, uh, of those country implementations. One of the um, elements that, that is also important to, um, to mention here is the fact that because of um, the, the, the local to local and the non-harmonized approach that many countries have taken, you also see that there is no interoperability between these systems when we're talking about, let's say, cross-border transactions again. So it's not because France has implemented something and Italy has as well, that those two systems at this point in time can necessarily talk to each other, which is why uh, I think one of the, the policy options which they will focus on as part of that public consultation and then as part of the um, of the legislation the draft legislation that will come out let's say as a result of that uh, that initiative will really focus on that cross-border dimension okay and then um, I guess the question I have now is you know, what could changes mean for consumers if, um, for for businesses for small businesses or multinationals if they were to um, pursue some of the suggestions that we're seeing in this public consultation process? Well, that's, of course, uh, a difficult um, question to answer at this point in time, because we are not, we, we don't know yet um, what will be implemented. If, for instance, uh, the policy option around the removal of the derogation principle um, will be pursued, that would mean that we can even see more uh, local solutions or local requirements popping up in the future. Um, where, of course, we already know uh, the burden and the challenges this may br bring to, to businesses. Um, for instance, uh, the fact that, well, 
first of all, it's, it's quite costly to comply with, with each and every local um, digital reporting requirement that has been, uh, that has been uh, established so far. We also see that um, for businesses, often uh, the reconciliation process between what is reported towards the tax authorities versus the, the period and the traditional period and reporting um, is fairly difficult. Also with, with data that is typically retrieved from different systems, different departments need to be uh, involved in, in that reconciliation process. That was PwC's Ellen Kortfreen speaking with Bloomberg Tax's Sean Courtney. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz, and Meg Shreve. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com. Because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.